something to say. Hello and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And today we're doing another interview because I love talking to some writers. Today I'm talking to Kiara L. Rose, whose new book, The... Oh my goodness. I, I'm so excited and I'm so behind on my reading that uh, this is probably going to make it to the front of the list because I've heard so many good things. The Healer's Love just came out. Say hello to the nice people. Hi, how are y'all? <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited, mainly because book launches are insane. Book launches are crazy, and I just want to say thank you for fitting me into your schedule. No, no problem, no problem. You are actually a breath of fresh air <laughs> from all the book marketing. So trust me, you're oh, doing me a favor. Like, Let's see, have I gotten all 1,000 Instagram posts done? And, oh, Facebook, why, why are you rejecting that ad? I own that picture. I, I made that picture. Yes, it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of work. So I heard through the grapevine that this story was inspired by a life experience of yours? Um. When you lived on an island, when, when you I lived did. on okay, the, so island? the island, the island is based actually off of uh, the island of Guam. I lived there as a military child for two years, and so I took the the culture of the Chamorros plus the island, and you know mixed it in with a year the the Yoruba people of Nigeria, and we just had a a story. <laughs> That's about it. So the story takes place on the island of Iqbala, if I'm pronouncing that right. Mm -hmm. And what made you want to tell this story? What, one of the questions I get asked the most is, how do I know that I have a story that will make a novel? How did you know that this was your book to write, that you needed to write this one? Or did you just do it and go, huh, that happened? Um, a little bit of both. So... <laughs> It originally started off as women's fiction and was supposed to be told from the viewpoint of matriarch of the Bencoli family, which is uh, the, the last name of the main character. And then the main male character came in, Emiliano came into the scene and I was like, wait, there is a story here, a romance between Emiliano and Yanda. I must tell it. So the sh story kind of shifted and the story had to be told. Like there were days that I wanted my brain forced me, like we're taking a break. This is going to happen. But then my hands were like, no, we're finishing this story. So yeah, it, I felt like it had to be told. And at the same time is one of those, like it just happened. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the most miraculous part of storytelling. When you find a story that just desperately needs you to voice it that these characters are almost like living in your head going please tell our stories please tell our story this needs to get out yes and i i hope that every writer listening to this experiences that at least once in their life and it's i don't think it's too rare of an experience if we don't hold on to our story ideas too tightly 
because I've had it happen more than once when I don't go, no, I am the writer. I know what is best for you. You shall do what I say. Right. That's when, that's when books always go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually did try to tell um, Yonda's story the way I wanted to tell it. And there are several times me and her came to blows and she's like, no, I'm telling this story the way it's supposed to be told. I was like, okay, fine. We'll do it your way. So, <laughs> so how would you best describe this book? Hmm. I would describe it as, I don't want to say it's a sweet romance, but I do want to say it's a realistic romance with a touch of tradition and spirituality um, in that it doesn't follow a formula. It definitely is realistic and you can feel and see the people. So, yeah. (laughs) Spirituality is something that I find lacking in a lot of modern fiction. I, I got really interested when you mentioned that you mixed in some of the Yoruba mm-hmm. people in, into this. Is this going to include t- discussion of the Orishas or is it? did you create your own pantheon for the characters? The Orishas are definitely um, mentioned in this and they are you will see on the island where you have some that actually follow the Orishas and then those who follow Christianity and then others who don't believe in any of that. And they're just, they believe in their own strength and and, uh, their own strength (laughs) and their own, um, just their selves, their egos. So the Orishas are definitely the center, I want to say, of all of this. Their names might not be mentioned, but a lot of their their aspects and who they are are definitely centered into this book. <laughs> that's that's really interesting because I find in writing at least some of my modern fiction, I usually try to stick to other world fiction so I don't have to worry about bringing in modern <laughs> real life too much into the stories because you know, for some of the stories that I tell, I don't want to get overly political or I don't want people to think that I'm bashing a group or a faith or something because of, you know, my experiences that are coloring the story, the story. When you were writing this, especially with having a multicultural group of people on the island, did you find yourself kind of struggling at all with how you're trying to show each group or did that just kind of flow naturally for you? It actually flowed very naturally. Um, I think the only time that I might have struggled is when it was a certain Orisha that I knew off the top of my head, but then I wanted to make sure that I represented them right. However, then I'd come across another Orisha that might have been a little bit better for the situation and one that I never even heard of. It might have been a lesser one. And then I was like, wait, now I must do research on this one. And then <laughs> it was a rabbit hole. But other than that, it flowed naturally. <laughs> that, that's something that I find in my own work a lot when you stumble upon what you think is the answer to the question. And then, oh, but there's this whole world out there that, oh, what about that? What about that? What about that? <laughs> um, spirituality, I think, naturally fits well into romantic stories because to me love is the highest form of spirituality in all of its forms whether that's 
our brotherly love one for another, our community love, our family love, or even, you know, romantic or erotic love. Right. Do you, in, in your writing, did you find yourself kind of comparing the, these and having them intimately connected or? Um, yes, I want to say <laughs> yes, because as I sit here and think about it, a lot of it was. Because then I noticed that as I was writing it, a lot of the Orisha's stories weren't only told um, like from the people, but a lot of the love stories and the myths that surrounded them were, were told as well. So like maybe a love story between uh, Oba or um, and Shango might have been told among somebody on the island. So it was kind of it was interesting to see that. <laughs> Because having the courage to actually go there and talk about how our connections to one another really relates to the connections that we have with whatever people believe are the powers beyond ourselves is such an important, I, I want to say missing component in a lot of modernist, in a lot of modern fiction, because whether or not people believe in things outside of themselves, the connection that we have one to another, be it, like I said before, with our friends, our family, our community, or our, the ones that are partners, it shows that we, at some deep fundamental level, are connected and interconnected. And one of the things that I've come to love about your channel and one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on here is you talk a lot in of about spirituality and this kind of interconnectedness. It's kind of the subcurrent in a lot of what you say. And I connect to that so strongly. I'm glad you do. <laughs> yeah, I definitely believe that. And even though I'm still on a path and learning that as well and um, and growing in that because I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I'm like that all the time. There are times where I do slip up. The majority of the time, I'm definitely still following that path because I do believe we're all interconnected, especially within. If we can't connect within, then you can't really connect with anybody outside of yourself. So hey, you need to say that again. That, <laughs> that's powerful right there. I mean, that, that is the secret to life right there. You know, yeah. if you can't connect with yourself, you can't connect with other people you or with anything else. That, that, that's powerful. I love, I love that you said that. I mean, that's some truth. Right it there. is. It's a lot of truth. Yeah. Um, I try to teach the children that. And I try to teach people that I come in contact with. And I know it's a little hard, especially with the way that the world is and the way that people think. It's, uh, it's kind of hard to be like that in a world like that. But... At the same time, I have to remember at the end of the day, I'm the one that has to deal with me. Everybody else can move on with their life. And if I'm not happy with me, then I cannot possibly live with myself nor live with anybody else. So I might be in a fight with a friend. If I still am okay with myself, I know that I can forgive myself as well as forgive my friend or try to make up with my friend. So it, it makes a difference if you connect with yourself first. <laughs> yes, a huge difference. Um, I would... I've. You may have explained explained this in other places, but you're if for anybody who's watch, watching the video who's not familiar with you, and they see the T and F there for your name. That stands for the Naked Firefly, which yes. is the name of your YouTube channel. Yeah, I have to. I pl please tell tell me where did you come up with that? That is so beautiful. 
All right. So, yeah, you were not the first one to ask me that. And I actually love telling people this. So fireflies, um, I actually came up with because I love fireflies. When I was a little girl and I used to go to Greensboro, North Carolina to visit my grandmother every summer, she had loads of fireflies in her yard, like to the point that there were times she had to fight me to come back inside because I just wanted to be outside with them. So the first thought when I was coming up with the channel was, well, what is creative to me? To me, a firefly is the most creative being on earth because of the way that they're, even though they're communicating with each other, they're still just, I don't know, just something about them is inspiring the way that they go through life or the way that they fly. I know eventually they die, but that's, that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> but the naked came from, I wanted to be raw and open with people on YouTube about who I was and what I was going through and the struggles and to let people know I am not perfect, but I am on this journey and I am trying my best. Um, but the raw firefly didn't sound as appealing. So I had to literally go to the thesaurus and I came up and I saw naked and I was like, that actually works. And when I ran it, through, uh, ran it by my husband and my son, they were just like, yeah, that sounds good. But of course, they side-eyed me. I was like, I'm not going to actually be naked on the screen. Naked is just, <laughs> just another word for like, you know, just out there, just open up. Just putting it out there. I, I love, I love that. Cause I, I identify with that feeling so much. My grandparents lived out basically on the edge of a, of a rice paddy. And so every night the fireflies were so thick and so were the mosquitoes, yeah. but I would be out there just chasing and trying to catch them and hold them in my hands and watch them light up. And yeah, I, I can totally relate to that, that that's beautiful. And, Oh, I love that. When you were writing this one, this this new book of yours let's make sure that we're letting all the people know about the healer's love where was this an escape for you or did you find our modern world and let's say our issues that we're facing creeping in okay um That one in particular, okay, let's see, how can I answer that one? Okay, so when I actually started the story, it was supposed to, it's supposed to be about waist beads. So it was supposed to actually analyze how waist beads in the Yoruba um, culture means to a lot of women, how it um, represented not only their, their, um, their social status, as well as their marital status and, and whatnot. It, it, represent a lot of things. Sometimes it was certain colors meant healing and other times, you know, made fertile. So that's what actually what I was exploring. I wrote this book, say 2017, probably 2016. So there's a scene in there where it talks about quarantine. And it's funny to me now, because I'm just sitting there like, oh, so this really did happen. Um, so it was a, a way to escape and to, to analyze the way that a culture was or how they operated basically escape from the real world because I think a lot of things were happening in 2016, 17 that I was just like, let's ignore. Um, and at that time, North Carolina was going through hurricane and, and everything else, natural disasters. So it started off with just a little bit of both. I was trying to analyze the world and how it operated and escape, just get away from it all. <laughs> you had what a friend of mine likes to call an accidental moment of prophetic brilliance yeah. because... <laughs> 
she likes to say that to me because I just finished writing a trilogy that I was going to rapid release this year that is about a plague that decimates a world and it felt wrong to release that given circumstances. Yeah. I know that I know that feeling. Yeah. So yeah, to, to make me feel better, I've got a friend that's like, don't worry, you were just being accidentally prophetic with that. One day people will need to cope and then you can put that <laughs> that out into yeah. the world. Because that's to me, writing is an amazingly spiritual experience because we are thoroughly connecting with ourselves. And as Stephen King once put it, it's the closest thing we have to telepathy because we're putting our thoughts onto paper to transmit them into someone else's mind. Right. And so I, 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 I like to have fun with my writing, but I also take it fairly seriously as kind of a spiritual calling in that, in that regard that I'm trying to, to tell stories that are going to help other people in some way, as well as entertain. Like the primary goal for me is always to entertain, but you know, making sure that the humor isn't, you know, punching down, making sure that people aren't going after each other. As somebody who has recently been told forcibly by their audience that they are a romance writer and have been for many novels now, um, how I'm still coming to terms with this because I look at those books and I'm like, they're not romance novels. Like they're not romance novels at all. And they're like, no, no, they're romance novels. Like I once got into an argument with somebody in the, cause I, I'm so good at marketing in the Amazon reviews because they kept insisting. I know Charlie says this isn't a romance, but it's a romance book. I'm like, no, it is so not. Like, like okay. So uh, the, 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 this is a topic that's really on my mind <laughs> for those reasons. And so I was wanting to ask you, do you consider this a romance novel or a novel with a with romance in it? <sighs> I know it's such a hard thing to say, because to me, the Romance Writers of America, this is what I always use on this, says that a ro- romance has to be the primary story, mm-hmm. not a subplot. And... For especially for my books, everyone, it says that it has to have a happy ending. Um, <laughs> sorry for the spoilers on like my entire back catalog, but yeah, just letting people know if there's no just happy letting people know. Like, so you you you've talked about how the love between these characters really changed the way you were writing it. So, did do you think that that changed it into more of a romance? novel or did it just add a very strong romantic element to the book that's basically what i'm getting at i want to say whoever reads it because to me personally it is a romance now it did have to go through a whole lot of um changes to make it a romance and then there were some scenes that i realized were not even worth putting in there at all they didn't need to exist um but i've had some a couple of people read it who said that it was just a novel with romantic um, elements in it. But then a lot more people read it and they are just like, no, this is definitely a romance. I guess you can say the book really doesn't follow Western standards of romance. It's more of, um, uh, you could say more African 
mindset of romance, like the the ancient ways of romance. So that's why I'm kind of just like, it's a romance, even if it doesn't fit the the Western standards of it, it's fine. <laughs> I'm continue. No, sorry. I was just gonna say because even if you look at like maybe even some Korean um Korean uh, the K dramas, a lot of theirs would not be considered romance. It would be just, you know, a show with romantic That's elements. True. But because it doesn't meet Western standards, however, in their culture, it does. It is a romance. So it just depends on who looks at it and what their eyes at. Me personally, it's a romance. That's what it is. That's what it's labeled as. <laughs> I, I'm curious about the reason I kind of lit up when you said it doesn't follow a fairly Western, you know, way, way of telling a story. I accidentally stumbled into writing Kisho Tenketsu style fiction because I didn't like the way a lot of Western fiction worked. And I was like, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something different. And I was like, I figured out a new thing. And everybody was like, no, you didn't. You're doing that thing they've done in Japan for 500 years. I'm like, oh. It's like, well, now I'm doing it. <laughs> now I have a name for it. <laughs> and I, it made my day because I had resources now to help perfect what I was trying to do. This is something that I've found very profound in my own writing where that's the um, Kisho Tenketsu is more about showing the character's relationship with the world and having their expectations about the world constantly be turned on their head rather than this kind of Western idea of everybody's fighting each other and there's constant struggle and, you know, banging heads together. And for my own personal fiction, where I try to really incorporate a lot of ideas of compassion and what, what have you, it just fits my mode better. If you feel com comfortable talking about it, I'm really curious exactly how you're approaching story then that is different from our standard Western model. Um, I'm going to try to explain it as best I can because I am not that good with spoken word. I can write down quicker than I can. So I'm going to try my best. Um, okay, well, with the romance, the romance of the Western standpoint, I know a lot of times they're looking for a boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy goes after girl, and, you know, he gets her at the end. And they're just looking for, like, just, I'm going to say it, and I know a lot of people are going to be mad at me, and I don't care. Um, Western romances to me aren't really romances. I feel like they're more of boy meets girl, boy might like girl, boy and girl shack up, you know, do the mm -hmm. do and then like they might fall in love and they might get married after just knowing each other for like a week or two. Whereas, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's why I don't so, get some nice stuff romance either. I'm not impressed with that. Whereas the romance that I'm used to to hearing, um, whether it's verbal or reading, it's more along the line of there is a growth. You see the growth of the character. Half the time the girl or is not really thinking about love. She's really seriously thinking about her family and her tradition. And then because she's a traditional girl, you have this guy, he'll come in and he'll sit there and he'll, he'll love on her and he'll show her that I am here for you. I am whatever you want to do. Let's do this. But there's no, the sex is not the main object, I guess you can say. You're really just looking for that love story. You're looking for the growth of them as a person. You're looking for the growth of them as a couple. And if they're sex, fine, whatever. But 
then you see the adventure. You see the other characters come into play. You see the other actors and how these actors actually can affect their love story. Because in a lot of love stories, you might have one villain in mm-hmm. Western life. And that person's not even really a villain. But if you try to focus on that villain, all of a sudden now it's not a romance anymore on Western standards. Whereas right. in other standards, it's like, no, that character, that villain is very, very much important. You need to know why is this character even bothering to even mess with them? What, why is he kidnapping her and, and keeping her? Maybe it's because he loves her, but you're not going to see that in Western culture. If they do have it, it's like one scene and mm-hmm. really from the viewpoint of the, the heroine. And I know I probably didn't explain that right, but... <laughs> Well, I, I don't know about the rest of the audience, but I, I got that. My, my personal favorite description of love comes from Joseph Campbell, who said that love is the relationship that survives the trauma of realizing the other person, it person isn't who I pretended they were when I met them. Right. And that he talks a lot about how real love is this more than emotion, this connection that emerges once we get past all of that infatuation, all of that projection that we do on someone be based on how they look, how they sound, how they remind us of other people. And we realize, oh, crap, you're an actual person with thoughts and identities of your own. And that at that moment, that's when actual love can start. And so that's that's what I'm hearing you, you kind of saying there, right? Just to phrase it a slightly different way in case right. you get it. Um, because that that's that's me is again why I don't consider a lot of what I do to 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 be romance because I'm so much more interested in that relationship. Because as somebody who has been accidentally married for twenty some years now, twenty two years, like, and I always word it that way because I wasn't looking to be in a re- in a relationship at all at the time, and much less a long term relationship that would take over my life. The relationship is the part that's so interesting to me, right? You know, and one of the things that is, I keep going back to this: what's missing in modern fiction thing because one of one of the things that I love about AuthorTube and everything that's going on over there is we're seeing people that are trying to fill niches that they want to read right that aren't being covered and we're seeing this a lot in indie publishing where people are filling those those niches and trying to get those stories out there and every time I hear more about your book it's it's subtly creeping higher on my list and (laughs) that's a good thing (laughs) no that is a very good thing i want to put it at the top like i wanted to have it read before we did this today but thanks to a conversation that i had with miss cache warren i'm currently rereading the broken earth books by nk jemison i understand i know i look she has me wanting to get those i'm like that will be on my next list of books to buy (laughs) because i had already read them and then she said some things that made me go, I am such an idiot. Why didn't I see that when I read the books? I have to I have to reread them now because they're going to read completely differently. She and, catches things. She's a good reader. She's an excellent reader. <laughs> and Nora, Nora is definitely on the top of my list as like great. Like she's who I want to be when I grow up. I want to write with the bravery that she has. Right. You know, the ability to just sit back and go, you know, this point of view needs to be in second person. I, yeah. I can't. 
I can't imagine having that bravery. I can't imagine writing a book like that at all. <laughs> I mean, I used to read them as a kid, but now as an adult, I'm just like, I don't want to read that. I don't. I, I don't. Who are some of your heroes as far as writing? And who 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 do you feel for people who aren't familiar with your work? Mm-hmm. You know, if they're fa- fans of this, that horrible comp titles thing <laughs> that every author dreads the question. Um, oh, my goodness. I actually thought about this when I finished the book. I was like, who would I relate this to? Um, hmm. See, well, I, if you want me to bam for a minute, I can't really think about it. Go ahead. Because <laughs> when I, when I, this is one of the reasons why I chat so much sometimes after I say a question to give people time to consider an answer. When my, my biggest problem is I read a lot of non-English books and I know that for the audience that I'm selling to as an English language writer, you're not going to know the names of any of the people that I'm going to mention. I mean, I could mention them to you, but you're not going to, you know, the average, you know, English reader is going to have no idea who they are. And so I always just go to a classic that is somewhat close and just go, I don't know. Do you like Michael Moorcock? If you like Michael Moorcock, imagine if Michael Moorcock was gay. Okay. I got you. Maybe, maybe, maybe somewhere in there, you know, it's dark, it's spooky. They're people with pointed ears, swords flashing, you know, but. You know, with fairies and rainbows everywhere. I got you. Know, you. Okay. I like fairies and rainbows. <laughs> Definitely got you. Okay. Um. Well, first and foremost, um, if most people are familiar with my channel, Toni Morrison would be the top for me because that she's actually the one that when I was little, 12, I'll say 12, the first time I ever seen her was on a poster in the school. And I was like, wait, I had already read a lot of her books in the library, which now that I think about it, a lot of her books probably didn't need to be in a middle school library, but that's beside the point. Um, (laughs) I just remember looking at her and just staring at her like, this is Toni Morrison. I have to grow up to be like her. So I studied her books. And then the only other book that I can think of would be um, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I probably read that book more than any book ever. So it's probably a little bit a mixture of those two, of anything that Toni Morrison ever wrote, plus Pride and Prejudice. And that's just from an ink, like a Western size standard point. But if I was to go with anybody, it would be probably a little bit of some Nigerian and East African authors. But for, first and foremost, always Toni Morrison. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I the, the podcast actually has a um, quite a few about half of my audience is in France for reasons I don't understand. Bonjour. Thank you. Hi. Um, so, you know, the, the, the stories get around. People like a lot of stuff. I, I'm just lost and flabbergasted at the moment because I'm imagining Toni Morrison's Pride and Prejudice and trying to figure out what that book would look like in my head. Right. It's because somebody read it and they were just like, it had like the essence of like Toni Morrison. And I was just like, I can see that. But then like, there's a little bit like, you might see some things, might see some Maya Angelou in there. You might see some Alice Walker, but not a lot. Cause I mean, they influenced me as well, but it was definitely Pride and Prejudice and anything Toni Morrison wrote. And then of course, some myths and legends and other things from um, over there in Africa. So it's just like, put those together and you don't know what you might get. <laughs> 
So if you would like to read Toni Morrison's version of Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> check out The Healer's Love by Kiera L. Rose. Because now, yeah, I think you're going to interrupt my... Uh, I think you're going to interrupt my reread of a series to get, get into this now a little bit sooner. So your book is out now? Yes, it is out now. It's and, um, anywhere the books are sold, whether it's ebook or paperback, there is a hardcover that will be coming out at the end of August. Um, so Barnes Noble will be selling that one. And I'm sure I'm going to have it on my website as well. I'm trying to actually update my website so that if people want signed copies, they can do that as well. Oh, sign, sign copies. That's something that I've done a couple times because book signings. Yeah, I mean, like right now, though, I, I'm like, you just stole this moment from me, quarantine. Oh, tell me. Well, I, I don't know. That's a matter that that is an ecumenical matter. I have had both some glorious experiences doing book signings, in-person book signings. And let's just say somebody bought a copy of one of my books, sent it to Theodore Kaczynski in prison and got a fan letter back from him and got mad that I wouldn't accept a letter from him. Oh, okay. then. I ain't taking no mail from the Unabomber. I'm sorry. That's not happening. That's not happening. I will not be. Nope. I do not know him. I'm nope. not. <laughs> no. Like, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, I, I, I'm glad Teddy K liked the book. That That's wonderful. That means I'm not on the enemies list. Should he ever get out? But I, I don't, I don't want mail. I, I, I do not want to say that I'm connected. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I got you. <laughs> I, I've had some weird experiences with in-person, in-person book signings. But that's a whole show in and of itself. I want to thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me. If there's anything else you would like to promote or anywhere that you would like to tell people to go look at you. Um, you know, I was about to say, you can check me out on Instagram under Kiara L. Rose, as well as on Facebook under Kiara L. Rose and Twitter too, Kiara L. Rose. And if you want to, you can always check out my channel, um, The Naked Firefly. And or sign up for my newsletter, Kira L. Rose. And that's about it. <laughs> and here, let's just put that on the screen screen again in case you come on now. Where'd it go? Of course, there we go. In case you for, forgot how to spell it or need need to know, there's the book. Go get the book. Well, let's end this episode the way we always do on this show, at least since <sighs> I, I got to the point where I just had to just say something. Remember everyone out there, things have not changed. Things have not gotten better. We have so much more work to do as always, as I end all of my episodes and all of our vid videos, black lives matter, black trans lives matter. There's work to do. Fi find some way to reach out. I know I just got a letter from my personal congressman telling me how this movement is threatening the American family. Okay. And <laughs> if I disappear from the internet, I wrote a letter back to him. <laughs> okay. So if I disappear, now you know what happened. Because <laughs> that set me off a little bit. So I can imagine. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Mm. Speak out. Let your voice be heard. We can change the world if we all work together. And as always, I hope you all have the fun. Until next time. Bye. Bye.